Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a weekly podcast that reviews one or two new release titles every episode with an occasional free-for-all segment at the end that we call Potpourri. You can find more of our work, including written reviews, full episode show notes, and the complete backlog of our episodes at obsessiveviewer.com. You can also uh, write into the show by emailing me at matt at obsessiveviewer.com and also find our other podcasts, Anthology and Tower Junkies, a Stephen King podcast, um, at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. And if you'd like to support us and get access to hundreds of exclusive episodes, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer where you can get access to content at any of our tier levels on a recurring monthly subscription basis, or you can buy individual collections a la carte in the Patreon shop section. This week on the Patreon, I did an exclusive full-length episode running down all of the winners of this year's IFGA awards, and I also have several Patreon potpourri episodes that are all full-length episodes covering movies that I watched for award season and for top 10 list consideration. That plus a ton of stuff, including the <laughs> uh, an immediate reaction uh, recording of my thoughts on uh, Zack Snyder's um, <laughs> Rebel Moon, which I very, very, very aggressively call Zack Snyder's dumb shit Seven Samurai. Um, so that is up on the Patreon. Uh, once again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer for all that and a bunch more content. I'm your host, Matt Hurt. You can find me on social media, which includes Letterboxd at obsessive viewer and on TikTok at OV podcasts. And today on the show, we're doing something a bit different. We're not doing the two episode review or two movie reviews, but for the final OV episode of 2023, I'm going to be going through the top 10 best films of 2023 as selected by the Indiana Film Journalists Association, a critics association I've been a member of since 2019. And joining me tonight to do that is my friend and fellow IFGA member, Andy Carr, making a uh, his, his, his latest appearance on the podcast. He, he's been on the show <laughs> se- several times this year, uh, who uh, his work can be found on filmyap.substack.com. And you can also follow him on Letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash dandable and on Twitter slash X at not so handy Andy as well. And you can find his podcast, the Odd Trilogies podcast that he hosts with uh, his co-host Logan, where they review three movies uh, that are interconnected in some capacity, whether it be thematic or behind the scenes or any kind of odd connections. Um, That is their show at uh, Odd Trilogies, available everywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the show, Andy. How have you been uh, in the afterglow of the three-hour IFGA meeting that we uh, attended uh, for the uh, voting on the awards? Well, I'm I'm feeling great. The meeting went really well. I think it's the shortest meeting I've been a part of since joining the IFGA. Yeah. Um, they they kind of get more streamlined and more efficient every year. Um and that's not to say there isn't still good discussion, of course. Right. Um, there always is. But I think we're just, uh, we've figured out in the in the digital age, the remote age, we have figured out our new kind of, 
uh, uh, not assembly line, but our mm. new pipeline for discussing uh, and debating films. So yeah, it was it yeah. was a good discussion, and uh, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm excited and proud of our winners. As am I. And yeah, you you joined the IFGA. Was it? It would have been 2020, was it? Or was it late 2019? Uh, I think it was 2020. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Would be... Yeah, yeah, I think it was 2020. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I was in uh, the beginning of 2019. And that was the last year uh unbeknownst to everyone <laughs> we had an in-person meeting um yeah. and and yeah and yeah that, those those were the days um like paper ballots <laughs> and everything um but but yeah this is the this is the um uh we we did it all virtual once again which we've done since 2020 and yeah. this was this was the first time that i was the one that hosted it on google meet um oh, that's true, yeah. yeah which uh i had mentioned in the the little group chat that we're part of i had mentioned that i had a little bit of anxiety about that afterwards because <laughs> i only ever use google meet for this for like up right. to like two other people mm-hmm. and uh that was that was a i mean it was it was reasonably sized but um yeah it was more than two people <laughs> yeah so yeah. but yeah, yeah it was it was a good meeting and i think it yeah. i think the google meet went well i, I think so too uh, i didn't notice any major hiccups neither did i thankfully um yeah yeah so i was i was happy with it I'm very happy with it um but before we get into the actual winners and everything and all of yeah. that, some news dropped. Do you want to talk uh, about the uh, latest news kerfuffle? Um, are, you, guess... are you referring to he who no longer remains? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. Mr. Majors. Yes. Um, yeah, that uh, that verdict dropped. And I guess yep. it was it was guilty on two different things and not guilty on a couple other things mm-hmm. that he was charged with, right? Yeah, I believe I know for sure or I believe for sure he was found guilty of a harassment. Um Yeah. But um but either way in terms of his his current professional movie ongoings that tie has been severed with Marvel Studios yep. regardless of what the the details of his convictions. Um, yep. Uh, December 18th, he was uh, convicted of two misdemeanor counts of harassment and assault. Um, yeah. And then immediately after that, uh, uh, news broke that Marvel dropped him, fired him from uh, from the MCU, which is appropriate, I would say. Like, that's... that's <laughs> it's the right decision. It's the right yeah. decision. But man, like... You know, the internet likes to say, I didn't have that on my bingo card. Um, right. But like, man, I can't imagine, like, I'm I'm glad, I'm glad that, you know, that justice is presumably served in terms of, in yeah. some capacity. Um, but just, I can't imagine like the, the turmoil in the, in, in the, in the, uh, the walls of Marvel. Yeah. Well, I'm sure for like, the last however long this has been going yeah. on um last several months they've just 
had you know these responses drafted up yes. or whatever that they were just gonna hit launch on whichever one was yep. right after they heard the verdict um and it just yeah it, i mean that's kind of what it felt like the last several months anyway was that like marvel wasn't gonna tell us anything about their future plans yeah. until they knew if their main man was mm-hmm. tanked that yeah, that's a good point. And it's interesting, too, that they did wait for the verdict to, co- to come through and not like, I don't I don't know what the mechanics of that are, like in terms of yeah. like, were they waiting for the verdict specifically because like, it, was there any like, I can't imagine there being any PR safe way for them to keep Jonathan Majors on even if. Yeah, like, uh- yeah. I feel like there would have been a ton of backlash because when the news broke that he was, you know, arrested or Mm. accused of those things, there was kind of this storm on social media of like other people bringing up stories about him and stuff like that. So it's like, it felt like the dude was basically immediately kind of down and out in the public eye anyway. So it's like, even if, he you know got out of this from a legal standpoint i just feel like you know people weren't really ready to move forward and be like all right well he's not guilty so i guess he's good to go i'm back on board um and uh well and even just you know the politics or the the case aside Mm -hmm. People haven't really responded to <laughs> the Kang stuff. Or yeah. The, you know, it, that, it really has just kind of been a wet fart. So it, it was like, it really has. It's like, it's kind of crazy how all of this has worked out in terms of like, you, like, <laughs> like even down to um, the legal defense of jonathan majors like the the freaking lawyers like releasing the text messages as if it were to exonerate him when it is demonstrating like act like abusive behavior it is like textbook emotional abuse and manipulation it is insane but like it's so weird because yes the Kang stuff has not been landing. Like it hasn't been, Yeah, it, it hasn't been a good year for Marvel or a good few years post Endgame, no. And like, yeah. I, it's just, it's so peculiar to me that it's, that this is the state of, of that, which I know isn't necessarily talking specifically about like Jonathan Majors, but just like the state of right. affairs in terms of that is, is crazy. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's kind of a, a weird and sorry state for Marvel that like they spent the better part of the past year waiting to see if the guy who plays their new big bad that nobody likes anyway is going to be able to keep playing the big bad (laughs) that nobody likes anyway. Like that was like, they're not, you know, basically they were dropping everything and not going to do anything until they find out what major situation is. And it's like, okay, but even if he's cleared, Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't save you from no. any of the the audience response issues that you're having <laughs> with this phase of yep. your franchise. Like it, it just feels it, weird it, to hang their hat on or rest their you know their hopes yeah. and dreams on that guy. Absolutely, uh, and just the fact so. that they put so much behind 
one specific person, which I guess, I mean, like, technically yeah. you could say the same thing for Iron Man and Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, but he's your main character. Like, yeah. You know, he's leading all the Avengers movies and right. all of his solo movies as well. Kang is the villain. It's right. It's like Thanos, Josh Brolin was great as Thanos, super imposing, but he's in two movies and a cameo or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, yep. the, the franchise was not resting on him. Right. Um, I mean, obviously Ugh. infinity war rests on him, but like, yeah. And I guess you could say quantum mania rests on Jonathan majors <laughs> yes. and look how well that went. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So I don't know, like what, what would you like to see Marvel? Uh, like, how would you like to see Marvel pivot from, the Jonathan majors of it all going forward. Well, like, is there any route that would bring you more interested into what, whatever they're doing with the multiverse saga? Well, I mean, I've, I've been deeply invested in the MCU for several years. I'm a, I've, I've been a huge fan. I wouldn't say currently that I have the passion of somebody yeah. who would call themselves a huge fan, but, um, and I could probably give you an episode's worth of material on all the <laughs> issues I think that they need to address if they actually want to, like, stay relevant and survive at the box office. Mm -hmm. But um, just in terms of the Kang stuff, I feel like they're best off just cutting off that storyline and pretending it didn't happen or, you know, <laughs> like throwing it under the rug, being like, well... That one didn't work out. Let's try Dr. Doom or something, you know. Yeah. And I'm not saying it has to be Dr. Doom, mm. just... I don't know. They've done a really poor job ever since Endgame of like creating a narrative geography mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, this character's here and they're going to be a part of this part of the grand narrative. This character's over here and is not going to be a part of it. This character's over yeah. here and is connected this way. And there's no real sense of like who the major players are or right. what storylines we're actually going to be pursuing other than the vague promise of the multiverse um yeah. and you know that has so far amounted to cameos mm -hmm. um some of them great cameos but still like we're not we haven't gotten much substance in terms of what the multiverse is actually going to mean for these characters so i yeah i guess i would just say like focus on telling a story that's of the scope that you can actually manage mm -hmm. and don't worry about like trying to redefine the cinematic universe again and <laughs> yes. you know one up the infinity stones and all that like just focus on making stories about characters that people care about yes and exactly. then you can build that up into something totally agree and like it's <laughs> like it's, it's funny i i could see i don't know that they would do this and i know that this is something that you kind of pitched softly there but like the uh -huh. idea of them doing a um like soft reboot of the multiverse saga or like having them sure. basically like do away with kang like i could see them do something like crazy and being like oh yeah we're gonna have like a large-scale incursion event somewhere and then that creates like the new timeline that's basically like a, a version of the universe that does not have Kang. <laughs> and like, yeah, that's how they right, get rid right. of him. Um, well, and they're even, you know, I mean, ever since they announced Avengers, what is it? Five and six. Yeah. Um, they, those have kind of been, it's been implied that those are 
kind of an Infinity War and Endgame situation where yeah. it's like two chapters of one big culmination because I think they were like a year apart originally. Something like they're, that, they're yeah. Released um, so I feel like, and they've already they've already dropped the Kang Dynasty name from <laughs> yeah. Avengers Five. So I feel like you could honestly just like repurpose Avengers Five for like kind of a a small culmination of the little things you've built up right now and kind of finish out that stuff and wrap it up and sort of set up the next thing yeah and then avengers 6 can be the big blowout fuck fest that you were kind yes. of originally planning um that and just yeah, yeah just use five to kind of like patch over the yeah bad stretch we've had i i like that i like that using <laughs> and like that would be kind of crazy to just have like a major like avengers title be like cleanup like be like the readjustment uh yeah. i like that yeah that yeah that would be that would be interesting but who's to say we'll see what happens knows, uh yeah. yeah it's fortunate i guess that like next year the only the only marvel movie in theaters is going to be deadpool 3 deadpool. um yeah which will be a nice that'll be a nice like i don't know reprieve from the marvel cinematic universe stuff so yeah 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 um but regardless like we're recording this december 20th we are a mere (laughs) what 24 48 hours away from the beginning of the Zack snyder rebel moon universe that's Um, true move over mcu exactly rebel moon take (laughs) yeah Jesus Christ, I'm I'm mad about that movie. Honestly, <laughs> I'm like I'm actually angry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. So that's the news we have for this week on the show. Um, I do want to say before we get into the nitty gritty of this, to um, everyone listening, thank you guys for listening to another year of Obsessive Viewer and Andy and everyone listening who made guest appearances and everything. Thank you so much. It's been a blast this year. Um, yeah. And I'll have on Patreon, I'll have a complete breakdown of all of the like writing and podcasting and Patreon stuff I've done over the year, uh, like on Patreon for like, it'll be released to all tier levels. It'll be me just nerding out about my stats and everything. Cause I'm a psychopath. Um, so check that out on Patreon, uh, in a few days by the time you're listening to this. Um, anyway, <laughs> Um, Andy, this past Saturday, the IFGA convened for our yearly awards, uh, deliberations. Mm. Um, we, the way for the, for the listeners, if you're not aware, the Indiana Film Journalist Association has been around since I think 2009 and we basically vote on different categories and, uh, release those awards at the end of the year uh, or announce them at the end of the year. So, Um, it's a great group. I'm very proud to be a part of it. And in doing so, this has kind of become a little bit of a tradition that part of, part of the, um, IFGA awards is that we have a one winner for best picture, uh, and a runner up and then eight, um, finalists to make up a complete number of 10 movies from the year that are best films of the year. So, the kind of tradition has been, I think it started like last year when I had Sam Watermeyer on, um, to run down the top 10 at the end of the year to make it be the last episode of the podcast for the year. 
Um, and so that's what we're going to be doing tonight. But before that, Andy, is there any, any, are there any categories, any winners from the IFGA awards this year that surprised you, pleased you, anything that you, uh, anything that jumps to mind about this year's awards for the IFGA? Um, well, honestly, I think, um, I mean, one that I was really happy to see um, was our our Hoosier Award winner. Yes. Um, not exactly a surprise, as he was kind of the the favored nominee throughout the year. Like you know, as we're kind of filling out our nominations throughout yeah. the year, he had a lot of support. But um, director Sam Mirpurian, who made docu- the documentary film Greener Pastures, uh, he's an Indiana-based filmmaker, and I just really liked that doc um, and wasn't aware of of him until i saw that but kind of looked a little bit more into him and yeah he's been working for a few years now and this film feels like a really major step forward for him and his Mm -hmm. career so like i thought that was a really cool thing to honor because um yeah i mean the the hoosier award is just intended to recognize any filmmaker or film that has ties to indiana and i feel like giving it to a filmmaker who lives in and works based out of Indiana is like kind of the best way to do that, especially if they actually make good films. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so that one, that one really pleased me. Yeah. Um, I was very, I was very happy with, with that and with greener pastors as a documentary, it was incredibly intimate, beautiful and uh, just, it, it is so earnest and sad at the same and, and, uh, at the same time and mm-hmm. it's really eye-opening as well so yeah yeah i'm I'm not sure where or if that's readily available to the mm-hmm. public but strongly recommend anybody interested in documentaries or the the agriculture industry um that's a very tumultuous place to <laughs> exist yes. in right now as an independent farmer so definitely yep. check that out if you're able to yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, other than that one, I will say probably like just generally the thing that surprised me the most about our field, our, our winners and stuff is kind of just how dominant poor things was. Yes. Um, I think I loved it. I think it's mm-hmm. a great movie. Um, but it was it kind of showed up late in our you know we didn't get it until just a little bit before our deadline so it Mm -hmm. was kind of one that snuck in there and then suddenly was kind of everybody's favorite thing um and for good reason i mean all the awards that it won it deserves but i was just like whoa and then to find out you know after we tabulated it up that it was like oh this set the record for the most wins in (laughs) ifja history by a single film and it's like wow i I would not have expected that, especially in like, you know, given that we are currently living in like the year of Oppenheimer. Oh my God. Yeah. That movie has defined this year in terms of movies. Um, and will probably, you know, perform incredibly well at like the Oscars and stuff. So, um, on one hand, you know, it's nice to, to do something a little maybe different that the other awards groups might not be doing. So, yeah, I definitely agree. And yeah, poor things uh, for context to the listener. Um, it won seven awards, and yeah. it is the uh, record for most awards, uh, most wins for a single film in the fifteen-year history of the IFJ Awards. Um, 
which is remarkable because like you said, we got it kind of late. I honestly, I wasn't prioritizing it to watch. Like, mm-hmm. uh, when you guys are listening to this last week on the podcast, I had, uh, Mitch Ringenberg on to review poor things. And like, we, we talked out like what we loved about the movie and everything. And it's like, I was very pleased with the episode, but like, and I, and I apologize if I'm re rehashing old things in, in the podcast, but, I just like it was a low priority for me until it started getting the buzz am- among the group sure. and yeah. everything. Cause like, yeah, it's just, it's, yeah. Well, yeah. When I started, I mean, yeah, I was interested in the movie. I like Yorgos Lanthimos. I enjoyed his last couple things. Um, and I thought the trailer looked good. But yeah, it wasn't until I started seeing it pop up on, you know, the nomination sheet a yeah. bunch and had a bunch of names next to it of people who support it and heard, some of those people talking about it and just gushing that I was like, Oh, well, I guess I better (laughs) squeeze this one in. And I'm glad I did. Yep. Oh, same here. Same here. And, uh, and yeah, also like before we move on to any other, uh, categories and everything, just to, just to give you, a um, a a, a compliment, (laughs) the (laughs) graphic art for the winners and the nominees and everything is just gorgeous every year so like that's well done because you did all the graphic design for it yeah, thank you thank yeah. you yeah i i and i appreciate that and i enjoy doing that because i think it's cool to be able to present our awards in a way yes. that's like eye-catching and and people want to look at it and it gives you know this is not of utmost importance but it gives you know filmmakers or studios or whatever something to like share out on social media absolutely if we post it, then like they can you know then it's like then we're just getting more reach and those films are getting more yep. recognition and it's all good everybody wins absolutely absolutely <laughs> yeah it, it's it's and like for an organization such as ours which it's it's a it's a small regional critics group yeah um we like we're not in a position to like do like a big like oscar night like awards ceremony right, or anything right. so like i just like the idea that you know people who work so hard on to to create these films and put them out and then like it is a it is like it's a miracle that anything gets released anyway um mm-hmm. and then for us to put those into consideration and then pick them and everything and then to do the added uh, the added step uh, by having you work so diligently to create the graphics <laughs> and everything just shows like how much we care about, you know, the, yeah, the film industry. A, yeah. I think it's a, it's a good, a good look, a good gesture on our part to, yes. to put that much into it. So yeah. yeah. Thank you. And I'm yeah. happy to do it. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know about your your back, but mine's kind of hurting from us patting us uh, patting ourselves on the back so hard. So um, <laughs> we can move on. Yeah, uh, but yeah. So any other any other categories that jumped out, or any other um, any titles that you were pleased to see? Any other titles you were pleased uh, with us for for recognizing, or uh, any uh, that you want to stump for post uh, the awards? <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I mean, my big, uh, it kind of became a, a joke in <laughs> during the meeting, but my my constant stump throughout the meeting discussion was John Wick 4. Yes. Um, that's my personal favorite movie of the year, so I was just, it was nominated in more categories than I could have, you know, hoped for or expected. Yep. So every time we got to a category that it was in for, I was like, Come on, people. How cool would it be <laughs> if we threw this balls out action movie, um, uh, a winner or a runner up place? And, and you know, it, it got choreography as it well mm -hmm. deserved. And it got runner up in cinematography, uh, which I thought yep. was really cool because I think it's a gorgeous movie, but not like stereotypically gorgeous in the way we yeah. often think about best cinematography. Absolutely. So, yeah, I was, I was very really pleased, pleased with that, too. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm, I either mentioned this in my awards wrap up on Patreon or last week, uh, uh or the week before, I'm not sure when, uh, we, uh, when I, when I talked about the nominees, but, uh, just like, um, I, I don't know, like the fact that John Wick for rightfully has got the recognition when like at the beginning of the year, it was it was on my radar, but mostly it was just like I haven't seen the other ones mm -hmm. anytime recently. I've only seen the first one, and I was just like, "I'll maybe I'll catch up with the franchise and then watch John Wick Chapter Four. Yeah. Um, and then you campaigned for it so hard, I was like, "I'm just gonna watch it. I'm just gonna watch it without <laughs> the other two, or the yeah. previous two. Um, and it it's a blast. It's on. It's gonna be on my top ten. It's fin phenomenal. But hell yeah, yeah. But it's amazing that at the beginning of the year, I'm like. I was all in on like, oh yeah, this is the year of Fast X and the mm -hmm. year of Mission Impossible Dead yeah, Reckoning Mission Part Impossible. One. Yeah. And like I like it just I don't even think I initialed Mission Impossible in anything um on our yeah. on our list. I like, mean it was a it was a nominee <clears throat> for choreography and mm -hmm. like understandably and fairly so. But yeah, yeah, that was one that like going into this year, I remember that was maybe my like number one or number two most anticipated and i i loved the john wick franchise already before chapter four mm -hmm. so i was excited for that one but like three had kind of disappointed me a little bit so i wasn't like going into four expecting like you know gold star perfect 10 out of 10 right. mission impossible on the other hand i fucking love fallout um, oh it's, it's almost incredible. a perfect movie yeah yeah um and so i was and i was really liking the kind of synergy that Tom Cruise and Chris McQuarrie had been developing over the last couple of movies. So I was like, this one's going to be an absolute banger, like yep. utter masterpiece of all time. And then I watched it and it was like, eh, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Um, and I <laughs> barely thought about it the rest of the year. Same. And like, and like earlier in the year, I like, I remember one day I was working from home and the, uh, or it might've been late last year, but the, the behind the scenes video came out with Tom Cruise oh, yeah. doing the jump and like, he's doing, like it goes through like how it, how they do it shows him doing it like several times and everything. And I'm just like, when I saw that video, it's like a nine minute behind the scenes video. Yeah. And at the end of it, I was like, okay. Time to rewatch like the last three Mission Impossibles right, back right. to back to back. And I did. Yeah. And then like and then Dead Reckoning was just like, OK, so, yeah. whatever. It's it's weird in it was weird, like because there was a lot of hype around that stunt and it's a really mm -hmm. impressive stunt. Yeah. But like in the movie, it doesn't feel nearly as impressive as the multiple impressive stunts in like Fallout or totally even Rogue agree. Nation. Like it just doesn't. 
I don't know if it's because of the amount of CGI required to make that stunt possible. And I'm not yeah. knocking the use of CGI. Right. I think CGI is magical and wonderful mm. and critical to making dreams come true. Yes. But, um, <laughs> but I think it was just the way that stunt was set up. It was like, okay, it's cool that you guys did this, but like with the amount of digital effects that you had to use to make it convincing, you didn't have to do this. Yeah. Whereas the other stunts, it's like, okay, I can see how that's like 95% of the frame is in camera. Right. You know? And this stunt was like, well, it's like, I'm yeah. glad you did it for real, but <laughs> you didn't have to. Exactly. It already looked like CG anyway. Yeah. And like, and it's not to really downplay Tom Cruise or anything. Cause like I've said, yeah. like, I don't think there's, <laughs> anyone quite on his level in terms of commitment to action filmmaking like in terms of putting himself at yeah. risk and doing things himself right, right um but it's also like like he learned to fly a helicopter in the last many years he's <laughs> it's it's like like yeah, i don't know i feel like i'm gonna yeah cliff. like i feel like i'm I, I feel like i'm gonna be a dick by saying this but like yeah. it's math like he's like <laughs> it's measured like i don't know i don't know but yeah um yeah. but yeah but anyway if you want to hear me be a dick about uh action <laughs> movies and everything check out patreon for my angry immediate reaction to rebel moon oh man um, talk about yeah. talk about lack of memorable action oh my god yeah yeah lack of anything <laughs> yes yeah. oh god so yeah so the the winners were announced i'll have a link in the show notes and everything mm -hmm. for uh for you guys to find the other winners and everything any final thoughts on the awards themselves before we get into the top 10 of the year per the indiana film journalist association um they're good good choices nice. us <laughs> yep yep here we go <laughs> patting ourselves on the back once again yeah. um <laughs> All right. So, uh let's get into the top 10. Um the way that I like mentioned before, the way that the uh IFGA kind of handles it is that we have one winner and a runner up and then eight uh finalists to make up a list of 10. Uh the way we're going to go through this is we're going to go movie by movie starting with the finalists in alphabetical order and then we'll do the runner up and then we'll do the winner. Um and uh, we're just going to kind of use this as a kind of free form kind of conversation about how we felt about each movie. And yeah. uh, and if we want to get a little bit a little bit crazy with it, we can maybe say if or where it would land on our own personal top 10 sure. list. Yeah. So, yeah. So we're in Give for a wild, wild evening tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's without further ado, let's dive into the finalists for the 2023 Indiana Film yeah. Journalist Association um, awards and starting to, to get us kicked off in the alphabetical order of the finalists we have are you there god it's me margaret the uh long awaited like this is the first time that the that the book has been adapted kind of shocking because it feels yeah. that that feels like a book or a property that's been around for forever and i always hear people talk about it and i'm like how is there not um, you know, a movie out of this yet. Absolutely. Just with the amount of people that are familiar with it. Yeah, absolutely. So it is 
uh obviously a 2023 release uh the premise according to imdb is when her family moves from the city to the suburbs 11 year old margaret navigates new friends feelings and the beginning of adolescence um the movie was directed by kelly freeman craig who previously made uh the edge of 17 um oh yeah 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 which is a a, and she also wrote the script for this uh adapted the script for this and it stars abby Ryder fortson uh rachel mcadams kathy bates and benny safty um yeah and like the edge of 17 i remember that movie kind of blowing me away and and like Mm -hmm. it's the type of movie that i kind of love that kind of adolescent coming of age drama comedy because like for me when when i was like that age um i was i wouldn't say i was a precocious kid but i was a very introspective kid i everything i assigned like very big emotional meaning behind every interaction (laughs) so like sure sure yeah yeah, everything was that age yeah everything is like the most important thing you've ever done exactly so when movies tackle that uh that Mm -hmm. era like it it's both a nostalgia for me and it also just it's it's something that just really uh i gravitate toward by the way this is streaming on stars as of this recording um but yeah but but are you there god it's me margaret andy how did you feel about the movie and uh and do you think it was deserved deserved to be on our finalist list (laughs) um so this this one uh is kind of my great failure of this year's Mm. field because it's actually i think the only film we recognized on our awards that i didn't see oh dang Um, i didn't even realize that my uh, my comments will have to be relatively uh, <laughs> restrained and and uninformed and ignorant, but um, it's, it's honestly a movie that I was fully ready to mm-hmm. um, pass over when it first came out, and I guess ultimately I did. Um, <laughs> but like, it was not a movie; it barely was a blip on my mental radar of movies coming out because I was like, well, it's, you know, it's just not really like super up my alley in terms of genre and and tone and that sort of thing it kind of Mm -hmm. just looked like another feel-good movie and i remember it coming out and like everyone was giving it five out of five and ten out of ten i was like yeah what is this movie that like (laughs) and like watching the trailer it was even like yeah this looks like bog standard feel-good stuff and then i was just kind of blown away by the response to it and then forgot about it as the year went on and then we got into <laughs> awards season and everybody started talking about it and again and i was like oh crap i gotta watch this and then <laughs> you know the the cram the award season mm-hmm. cram sets in and and i i missed my opportunity to see that one before yeah. before our awards um, so yeah. that was my casualty this year yeah and it it almost it was almost my casualty too well it was yeah. it, it was my casualty because i didn't <laughs> see it until after the meeting um yeah i i watched it specific for two reasons one like i said this is the type of movie that i gravitate toward i love coming of age movies like this um and two is that i wanted to make sure that i'd seen all the movies before we recorded this (laughs) right yeah um so i watched it like last week and um it's it's nowhere near the edge of 17 for me like that is yeah i I really liked that oh it was great it was fantastic um but this is just it it's 
it's pretty solid. Overall, it's a pretty solid movie. Um, I, I don't even feel like it's necessarily something that like, as a man, I can't, I can't relate to because I, that's not, I feel like that would be a very reductive way to dismiss yeah. it and it's not really um, how you operate as no a no movie goer exactly <laughs> like, it's oh, like, this isn't my experience yeah then no thank you yeah. there's there's no character that's recording into microphones for like <laughs> hours at a time no okay i don't know anything about this fucking movie um <laughs> but which this is so this is so dumb so dumb and it's a it's a it's a tangent but um i was loopy uh, i was kind of loopy and tired at the end of the day the other day and i kept thinking that my 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 uh amazon just went off uh so yeah. if you heard that in the background but anyway um i kept thinking like it's so dumb i don't know i don't know how to really bridge into this but basically i thought like it would be kind of funny if like uh, I I don't know. Like, I imagined, like, this scenario where I would, like, suddenly say, like, oh, I'm writing a movie. And it would be, like, a, like, kind of a comedic sketch thing where it's, like, okay, this person has no right to, like, no, no business writing a movie or anything. But, like, I just pictured it being, like, me just telling people, like, yeah, I'm writing this, writing this uh, movie about this mild-mannered podcaster. His name is Lincoln, the show notes. Um, And... (laughs) wow it's so dumb but anyway (laughs) uh so i just kept saying like lincoln the show notes um (laughs) so dumb but anyway are you there god it's me margaret it's solid it's solid uh like it's solid as a coming of age story um something that i also felt very foolish for not uh not expecting from it is that uh there is a there's a fair amount of her dealing with um like religion and at her Mm -hmm. young age she's an 11 year old girl and she like her parents like her mother her mother's on her mother's side um her family is christian and on her father's side the family is jewish and there's a lot of like confusion from her as to like which which faith does she belong to or associate with and how that how like the not necessarily the clashing of faith, but like the the combination of those two specific faiths uh, caused kind of turmoil within the family, which I think was handled very well. And I felt like an idiot for thinking like, oh, wow, this has stuff to do with the religion. The movie, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, <laughs> has something yeah. to do with religion. Right. Uh, so that was kind of unexpected, but... Uh, uh, but pretty solid, pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your, your assessment of it mm-hmm. feels like of the people that I actively listen to in terms of their opinions on movies, mm-hmm. like on a regular basis and take into account and think, oh, well, if they like it, I probably like it. If they mm-hmm. don't like it, I probably don't like it. Like that is the consensus consensus I've gotten from my curated feed is like, gotcha. yeah, it's, it's good. Um, so I, that was another reason it wasn't a priority for me as, mm-hmm. as pressure got set in. Cause I was like, okay, yeah, there are a lot of people who are saying this is like a perfect, amazing all time, great movie. But the people that I usually align with mm-hmm. are saying, eh, 
Exactly. <laughs> it's and, solid. <laughs> yeah. And that's and that's not necessary. Like that's that's obviously that's not like a thing where it's like, okay, yeah, f- fucking Matt put his initials on uh like talk to me for like cinematography or something like okay go fuck yourself matt um referring to myself um (laughs) it's not necessarily that it's more like okay well i know the tastes of people that are yeah like yeah because as a group as you talk and you get to know other you know your colleagues and peers and other people doing this sort of thing you kind of start to figure out like okay we like similar things or certain things register for us on a similar wavelength yeah so uh, yeah i'm not saying that like ifja members who like this movie are stupid right Um, i'm just saying like it did not register to me from the things that i heard from Mm -hmm. the people that i talked to that it was this time of year or this time of year up until like last week Mm -hmm. um it becomes hard to justify setting aside the time for a movie that you don't at least expect to really impress you. Yes. And so you kind of, at a certain point, if you're not, you know, if you're running out of time or whatever, you have to kind of prioritize based on what you think is going to really work for you. So like, yeah, that last week before the awards, I was like, okay, I'm watching monster and the boy in the hair and, and all these things that like, I know are right up my alley. Mm -hmm. And granted, I didn't end up liking the boy in the hair, but like, you know, I was going based on what I expected to like. And are you there? God, I'm sure it's a fine movie and Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna, not gonna shit all over it, but it just didn't seem like it was going to knock my socks off. Right. So I didn't, didn't prioritize. That is totally, totally fair. And, uh, a movie that, uh, I believe everyone prioritized is the next one in the finalist list. (laughs) Um, (laughs) it is the, uh, it is one half of the Barbenheimer phenomenon. It's Barbie. Yes. Um, Barbie made our finalist, uh, list, um, just for, um uh context here it's currently now streaming on max um yeah yeah. in the plot summary Mm -hmm. is barbie suffers a crisis that leads her to question her world and her existence uh directed by greta gerwig and written by greta gerwig and noah bombach uh andy how did you feel about barbie uh like where did you land on the whole barbenheimer uh (laughs) phenomenon yeah i mean uh I think Barbie's great. It's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a blast of a movie and a really impressive um, use of an IP and kind mm-hmm. of not necessarily inversion, but like, yeah, subversion of an IP. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I was really pleased with it and I, I was really glad to see it, um, you know, reflected in our finalists here. Um, Same here. Yeah. Yeah, I I loved it for the longest time for the for the majority of this year it had been sitting at my top spot in my top ten. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then of course, just as we're getting into the tail end of the year, like other movies, kind of usurp it or kind of like bump it down a little bit. Right. Um, which is why, like now that we're in the kind of aftermath of the meeting in the last like couple of weeks of of the year. I am kind of trying to find the time to revisit movies that are on my list that to reassess where they belong. But Barbie is going to be very high up on that list. I thought it was very, very, like you said, inventive, original, interesting, and uh, a good way to package together some 
very, very uh, timely uh, social commentary um, yeah. in a way that was still fun and energetic. I like my my kind of a holish um, uh, kind of uh, blurb about it that I've said in my mind all year is like I, what I love about Barbie is that it that it managed to send like like uh managed to deliver a message to people who would listen to it and also to piss <laughs> off the men of the world who almost exclusively refer to women as females um because <laughs> there's like a very specific type of person that does that <laughs> yeah i saw some yeah. video recently about a um it was like people on some chat show talking about a uh, a reddit thread and am i the asshole reddit thread <laughs> yeah. where this woman is uh like talking about how she broke up with her boyfriend over his reaction to this movie <laughs> um and she's like am i the asshole and she like in her elaboration it was like okay this dude is exactly the kind of dude that the film was was parodying and <laughs> naturally did not react well to it and it's nice. like no girl you're not an asshole. <laughs> You're free now. Yes. Like, you know? <laughs> um, nice. But yeah, just a just a really incisive mm -hmm. takedown of that kind of specific, um, that specific uh, gender mm -hmm. clash, gender war, weird, yeah. like yeah, conservative Joe Roganites and that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. um, and Ryan Gosling is amazing. Oh my at, god! At being kind of the embodiment of that satire. Yep. Um, he's phenomenal. There's a lot of it's great. So I mean, Margot Robbie's great, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, Lu's in there, and he's a blast too. He's a, he's another Ken. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is that is one of our finalists, Barbie. Um. And let's move on to the next one. We've got The Holdovers by Alexander Payne. I did not bring up the yeah. information um, because I forgot that I was doing that in the process. Uh, but The Holdovers is a movie that the premise is a cranky history teacher at a remote prep school is forced to remain on campus over the holidays with a troubled student who has no place to go. Um, currently not streaming anywhere yet, but I believe you can buy it on uh, digital uh, as of this recording. Um, it stars Paul Giamatti, Divine, uh, Joy Randolph, Dominic Sessa in his film debut, uh, and Carrie yeah. Preston, uh, directed by Alexander Payne, written by David Hemmingson. Uh, Andy, I kind of feel like in terms of the group, um, the, the IFGA, I kind of feel like I was maybe a little bit, uh, hot on this movie in terms of other people didn't really seem to really care for the holdover. So I was kind of surprised when it made the finalist list. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. How did you feel well, about the holdovers? And, and am um, I crazy? <laughs> no, I mean, there was this, the holdovers weirdly became kind of a, um, polarizing topic in our, amongst our group. Yeah. Um, there were people who were saying, you know, 10 out of 10 best movie of the year. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't believe somebody made a movie so perfect. Um, and then there were people saying like, this is like the lamest, tamest pain film he's ever made. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, I, I found myself in the middle of all of it. Um, I really enjoyed it. I think it's a, it's a 
I would say it's a great movie. Um, I had a wonderful time with it. It's a cozy, mm-hmm. big old warm hug of a movie. It's funny. It's um, comforting and sentimental. Um, and yeah, it's like super nostalgic for kind of a bygone era of not only filmmaking, but just like, you know, life in general. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I didn't think it's, it's not like it might be, it might wind up in my top 10. Nice. I think, I think it's just outside my top 10 uh, okay. right now. So, um, but, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot, but I wouldn't say it was like a top contender for me personally, for any of our awards. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was like, kind of formula or convention pulled off really well uh, you know with some great performances especially Dominic Sessa and yeah. um Paul Giamatti um but yeah I, I wasn't like blown away by it nice well said and I I kind of was blown away by it specifically because yeah. it was a movie that I wasn't necessarily expecting um I'm I'm a fan of Alexander Payne the movies that I've seen I like I need to revisit. I know that you, if I'm not mistaken, went through and watched a ton of Alexander Payne stuff. Maybe his whole filmography, did you? Just about. Okay. Uh, the only one I didn't was, is there one called Ruth or something? Uh, sure. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's like one feature film that I didn't get to. Um, okay. But yeah, I, I had not seen any of his movies. Oh, um, wow. And then I saw the trailer for The Holdovers and I was like, oh, Alexander Payne. Um, I've heard his name a lot. I should watch his movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I did. And I, you know, I watched election and I watched mm-hmm. Nebraska and, and, yeah. uh, the descendants, and all this really enjoyed all of them sideways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think any of them like knocked my socks off. Like I was like, Alexander Payne has a very specific kind of voice and vibe that I appreciate. And mm-hmm. I enjoy, and these this is a good time every time. Um, but I'm not like walking away just floored or like like I've had a new experience that I've never had before or anything like yeah. that. Um, and the holdovers was kind of I, I had a similar reaction. Um, although I will say the holdovers does feel kind of markedly different from his mm-hmm. other movies, not in a bad inherently a good or a bad way. It's just like a lot of his other movies are much more kind of snarky and almost cynical, mm-hmm. or at least there is a cynical main character who is kind of, you know, at the heart of all of it. And I guess yeah. Giamatti is a cynical main character, but this felt like a much more warm, mm-hmm. loving, hopeful, cozy movie. Whereas some of his movies are more like kind of dry satires almost. Yeah. And that that one movie was Citizen Ruth. Um, it is unreal, yeah. yeah, but yeah, I agree. And it, it has this, like you said, the, this warmth to it that is more about expressing the, the cynicism and, and kind of healing the cynicism yeah. of the characters a bit. And that's what kind of really like attached me to it. It just felt very, uh, very soothing. And I'm, I'm woefully like unprepared to talk Alexander Payne in, in general, just because I've seen maybe a couple of his movies. I've seen election. Um, and yeah. I loved Nebraska. I Nebraska's adored great. that yeah. movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
And that's basically all I've seen of his movies. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've got a lot of catching up to do. But uh, The Holdovers blew me away because of that, just the bond among the characters and the way that they, like I said, it's kind of this healing coziness that they experience and that they learn from each other. But it's also incredibly incisive with the dialogue. And it's not anything that is played up for like schmaltzy, hokey, emotional uh shortcuts or anything it's very it feels very genuine and grounded in in the growth of the characters and i i just i i adored it it's definitely going to be on my top 10 i'm not sure where but it's going to be on my top 10 heck yeah yeah um and yeah do you want to (laughs) move right along to the next one sure okay now i don't know if you've seen this one but <laughs> John Wick Chapter Four. Uh, the yeah. <laughs> the plot summary is: uh, John Wick uncovers a path to defeating the High Table, but before he can earn his freedom, Wick must face off against a new enemy with powerful alliances across the globe and forces that turn old friends into foes. Uh, the movie was directed by Chad Stahelski. Uh, writers were Shay Hatton, Michael Finch, Derek Kolstad, and it stars, of course, Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, uh, Lance Reddick in what I believe is his final role, I would assume. Or I think, yeah, is I he going to be so. in Ballerina? I don't know if he... Oh, no, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but also Clancy, ba- Clancy Brown, Ian McShane, and Bill Skarsgård. So, <laughs> Andy, John Wick Chapter 4, let's, let's get into it. Um, yeah. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah, I'll try not to spend the rest of the episode talking about Mm -hmm. it. Um, But yeah, I I just, like I mentioned earlier, I already really loved these movies, the first three. Um, Mm -hmm. I was kind of of the probably minority amongst the the franchise's fans in that I felt like the first one was the best one. And then the, the second and third as cool and big and insane and grand as they got kind of lost sight of like the the very simple pleasure and kind of revenge fantasy that the first film was tapping into um and thankfully yeah four just brings it all home it uh it has more action than you could ever expect from a single movie. It has bigger and better action than you could expect from a single movie. Um, And it manages to be like a satisfying kind of conclusion or, you know, at least supposedly. Yeah. um, With an asterisk. (laughs) Yeah. For the character, it feels like a very nice conclusion. And if it were to be the end, it would be the perfect end. Um, So yeah, it's just, I've really enjoyed watching how um, Stahelski has kind of used each one of these to push himself and his team and kind of the whole American action front forward Mm -hmm. with every single one of these movies. I mean, the first one came out and I think it kind of surprised everybody. It surprised me. I remember seeing the trailer and being like, that looks like dog shit. (laughs) Um, And then I went to see it and I was like told, went back to my college roommate and was like, dude, you're not going to believe this, but the movie (laughs) I've been making fun of for the last four months fucking slaps. Um, (laughs) Keanu Reeves is back, baby. Um, And uh, yeah. And then with each successive one, he's Chad Stahelski has really pushed the spectacle of it and the visual storytelling of it forward. 
And now with this one gives us this almost three hour just opus and masterclass on using action as narrative momentum and just like keeping you constantly engaged at the edge of your seat and just like naturally weaving story and action together in a way that I've yeah like never seen oh absolutely like oh my god this this movie blew me away um yeah yeah just the continual like like the the complete like it's two hours and 49 minutes it's Mm -hmm. wall-to-wall action and i never once like blinked during it (laughs) basically like Good God. It, well, and, yeah. Yo, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, no. Just, I was just saying, like, I'm still just gushing over it. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm I'm just really happy to be saying that and to hear you and other people saying that, mm-hmm. especially because, and I know you didn't see the third one, but, mm-hmm. like, the third one felt to me like I was sitting there watching it, and I, like, loving all of these movies, I was sitting there, like, getting a headache from the insane amount of action in it. And I was like, okay, maybe we have reached the threshold. Like maybe we have exceeded what a single movie can handle in terms of just continuous action. (laughs) And I was like, maybe in the next one, we focus more on story. I don't know. Um, (laughs) And then this one came and it kind of did both. Mm -hmm. It focused more on the story and gave even more action. And it wasn't a headache this time. Um, And I was just like, God damn, this movie just, any little worries I had about it, it just proved me wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of this movie specifically, like not having the context of John Wick mm-hmm. 2 or 3, like throughout it, I was like, I'm like, it wasn't even something that was necessarily registering with me that it's like nonstop action. But yeah. first of all, I was just very thankful that I could like, I had an entry point into it. Like it doesn't need you to know like the events of the other two or the right, other three movies. Right. But you get the gist right from the outset. And throughout the movie, like when it gets to the point, and I said this on Patreon, so apologies, but check out Patreon. Mm-hmm. But um, when it gets to the point where it's like, okay, this is how this is how the movie is going to resolve its central conflict. This is the plan. This is what you're going to do. This is the yeah. plan. You have six hours until the start of this plan. I'm sitting there thinking like, oh, it's leaning toward like, like it's leading toward this kind of like reserved sort of like climactic like a mm-hmm. like not not bombastic crazy action thing so i'm like so yeah that's really smart yeah have two hours <laughs> of the movie be just wall-to-wall action and then have a more like condensed subdued, subdued yeah. thing and then all hell breaks loose and for the next 45 <laughs> minutes everything is going just ape shit crazy yeah like yeah i remember i amazing. remember thinking a, a similar thing where i was like I, I wasn't looking at my watch. I didn't have mm-hmm. track of the time, but I was like getting to the point in the movie where I felt like, okay, it was probably the same part you're talking about where I was just yeah. like, okay, we're on the vert. We're, we'll do the climax where we'll have one more good fight and then we'll have falling action and kind of wrap it up. Yep. And then, yeah, the best 45 minutes <laughs> yes. of action of the whole <laughs> two hours and 45 minute movie happens. And I'm like, why did I, why, how could I have been yeah. so foolish? And then, and then, like, the movie even knows it because yeah. then at the end of, like, that stage and everything, there's still, like, literally, like, 200 steps of stairs in that yeah. whole thing. 
Yeah, well, and and the whole staircase thing is hilarious because it's like the movie knows at this point, okay, you've been sitting here for two and a half hours watching wall-to-wall action. Now you're going to watch the same fight scene <laughs> twice. Yes. <laughs> Which, yeah, and I don't really want to spoil the intricacies right. of how that happens, but it's just, it's it's the closest I've ever seen a movie, an action movie, get to replicating the like action video game experience yes. without feeling like gimmicky or tacky, like how, yes. you know, not like the doom movie doing the first person shooter right. shot or whatever, Jesus. you know? Um, yeah. There's, there's specifically two sequences in this movie that just feel like that. That's the joy of blowing away people in a video game put yep. on the screen as a movie. And it's thrilling. And I'm so glad you said that because, and this will be the last thing and then we can move on. But uh, I just saw on IMDb, I was not aware of this, but Chad Stahelski um, <clears throat> is apparently attached to make Ghost of Tsushima, the video yes. game adaptation. Which, I'm really excited for that. Holy crap. Yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. All in. All freaking Knew in. It. Yep. Yeah. Um, and speaking of all in i don't know um uh the next runner-up we have or the next finalist is killers of the flower moon um martin scorsese uh leo dicaprio uh, robert de niro when oil is discovered in 1920s oklahoma under osage nation land the osage people are murdered one by one until the fbi steps in to unravel the mystery um so, uh, also stars Lily Gladstone, Jesse Plemons, uh, directed by Martin Scorsese, written by Scorsese and Eric Roth, adapted from the book by David Grant, I think. Um, so this movie, did he write the book? I don't know. We'll see. But anyway, um, this movie didn't necessarily seem to get a lot of play within the group in terms of the discussion and everything. How did right. you feel about Killers of the Flower Moon? Uh, well, I think it's a great movie. Um, kind of like the Alexander Payne thing leading up to this, I went back through Scorsese's filmography. Oh, yeah. Watched, watched most of the ones I'd never seen before, rewatched some of the ones I had seen before, um, and kind of, you know, gave myself a crash course on him because I had a lot of Scorsese blind spots. Like, I, yeah. I had seen most of the big ones. You know, or he's got a ton of big ones. I had seen, you know, a lot of his most prominent films, but there were several big glaring spots that I hadn't gotten to. So kind of did that crash course right up into killers of the flower mood, really enjoyed it. I, I think, um, probably, I probably didn't get quite as much out of it as like the, the IFJ's biggest supporters of the movie. Yeah. Did. Like there were a lot of, you know, five stars flying around and you know i think i think it would have been a lot of people's or probably was a lot of people's pick for like best film of the year in our group mm. um i think it'll probably be might sneak in or just outside my top 10 at the end of this year um i love seeing somebody as <laughs> old and tenured as scorsese tackling new stuff like that i mean yeah. there's a lot of familiar territory that he's dealing with in terms of like the kind of organized crime mm -hmm. conspiracy angle to it but to kind of go into the the whole native american culture and yeah. the oppression of that people and do it you know i think more tact or about as tactfully as like anybody's doing it in hollywood um 
was was really impressive to me. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I did too. It's not going to make my top ten. It'll probably be an honorable mention. Um, yeah, but it's interesting you say that because it is it is kind of somewhat familiar territory in some in some cases, like you said, with the organized crime aspect of it. Um, it's so interesting because it it kind of makes me want to go back and rewatch The Irishman, which I haven't seen since sure. it came out. Um, yeah. because I remember being just so lukewarm on that movie. Like it same. did not leave an impression. Yeah. And like um, here, Killers of the Flower Moon, like it it's it didn't like blow my mind entirely, but it it was very impressive. I think that it came from a place of yeah. of uh, of just strong storytelling, a strong desire to tell this story and tell the story in this yeah. specific way. And I think that that really, really shined through in it. Yeah. I will say this, this may be more than any of the other movies that were in contention this year in the IFJA. This kind of feels like the one sort of just casualty of the process where mm-hmm. it's like, this was a lot of people's, you know, favorite movie of the year. It was yep. nominated in like every single category, had yep. a ton of support in every single category. And then the meeting came around and it was barely mentioned the entire meeting. Yep. And then snuck in a couple runner ups, one or two mm-hmm. runner ups in I our whole so. our whole winter field. Um yeah. and that's yeah. just kind of how it goes sometimes when you know you're only giving one winner and one runner up in every category. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of movies to consider. Um, so that was, that was just an interesting uh, one to me. That I, the way it fell in the, in the end of things. I absolutely agree. And I, I think it really speaks to the, uh, I guess, the, I guess the spread of tastes within our group. Cause I, I, yeah. what I like about our group is that, it rarely feels like they're <laughs> I'm saying this as we're talking <laughs> as about we just yeah, broke a record. <laughs> yes, yes. But <laughs> there is always fruitful discussions about <laughs> nominees and about the field of nominees. It's never a thing where it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess I like it's Martin Scorsese, so let's throw him into the mix and everything. It's more like, no, you know, what Robert De Niro did in this movie was very interesting. And the way that Martin yeah. Scorsese told this story this way, like, it's a very fruitful discussion and everything. Um, yeah. And there's, it's a good, like, spread of tastes among several different, like, at this point, 25, 26? Uh, yeah, 25. Critics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I do also just think it's interesting how, um, and I appreciate that, like, our meeting a lot of the times, maybe this is a product of it becoming more condensed from the uh, the virtual format, but, like, yeah. we, it seems like we spend way more of the meeting talking about, um, this, is, this is a bad way to put it, but, like, we spend way more of the meeting talking about the films that really don't have a shot at winning. Oh, yeah. Um, because everybody wants, you know, every everybody there has their own taste and is like, I'm going to stump for this movie in this category. I would love to see it get some attention. Um, yeah. And so that is what the bulk of the discussions is, is like, okay, the here's why Robot Dreams is the best movie of the year. Um, yep. You know, and it's like, you get to the ballot and the things that we talk about are not on the ballot, you know, <laughs> yeah. except for like one person's ballot. And it's like... Um, that's not you know knocking anything or even knocking no. the process i actually think that's great but it's Me like too. um 
you know i think it's reflective uh, of the passion yeah i think yeah. so too and like there's also i think to some degree an assumption of mm-hmm. popularity for something like oppenheimer mm-hmm. barely got any play i felt like in the meeting same um even despite feeling like the dominant force amongst our nominations throughout the year and obviously in the discourse and culture around us um and then yeah barely brought up in the meeting and took a lot of second places (laughs) yep absolutely absolutely and uh and it's funny like you said that about um uh, different uh, kind of st- stumping or to talk about uh, movies that uh, aren't really in contention on the bouts or anything like when yeah. we got to like uh, <laughs> like like yes when we got to like the foreign language one I was a, I, I think I was the first one to say like to break open the discussions like i know like guys i know that no one's gonna vote for this but when evil lurks was really good and i think part of that is like i just want more people to see it if they missed it during the during the cram like maybe check it out it's a really good movie and then i stuttered my way through half uh half ass like stumping for dream scenario throughout the meeting (laughs) yeah uh but yeah Um, but yeah the killers of the fire moon was good yeah, yeah, loved yeah. it. Um, I will say, in just in uh, another kind of note in regards to the the meeting and like surprises and lack mm-hmm. of surprise and that sort of thing, I will say if there is one winner or runner up in our whole field that like I'm a I'm gonna pat myself on the back again here. Mm-hmm. If there is one that feels like would not have happened without me saying something in the meeting mm-hmm. it's the runner-up for dan Lawson for cinematography for john wick yes because i i have a hard time believing anybody was seriously considering <laughs> john wick for cinematography yeah but for some reason i didn't even plan to do that but like <laughs> for some reason the spirit of chad stahelski possessed me during the best cinematography discussion and i nice. was like here's why cinematography in that movie is fucking insane yeah and then it gets runner up and i was like wow that could not have predicted that yeah and and you deserve the pat on the back for sure <laughs> like it i i don't i'm sure that i had it on my ballot because it is it is a gorgeous gorgeous movie yeah. Um, but I think maybe the conversation kind of sealed it for me. Like, yeah, okay, this is, I'm, I'm going for it. Um, so I don't think it was my top pick for cinematography, but it was definitely, definitely made my ballot, I, I believe. Um, but, uh, shall we move on to the next, uh, finalist? I kind of, yeah, I don't want to take up too much of your evening. Oh, sure. (laughs) But, uh, the next one is May, December. Uh, oh, yeah. yes. Which is on Netflix and the plot summary 20 years after their notorious tabloid romance script, the nation, a married couple buckles under pressure when an actress arrives to do research for a film about their past. It is available on Netflix stars, Natalie Portman, uh, Charles Melton and Julianne Moore directed by Tom Haynes, Todd Haynes, Jesus. And, uh, <laughs> writers are Sammy Birch and Alex Machanik. Um, I reviewed May, December um at some point on the podcast a few weeks ago um andy how did you feel about the movie and its placement on our finalist list um i think may december is a fucking awesome movie um it'll pro it's currently sitting at number four for me for the year um i loved this i'm not even very familiar with haynes work i watched uh dark water which was 
by all accounts, his like most bland banal film he's ever mm. done. And that's the only movie of his I've seen before oh, wow. this. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I, I just, it's such a kooky little blend of like tight psychological thrilling drama and silly campy goofy satire um and it and it plays it 100 percent straight it plays it like a straight dark grim melodrama about you know abuse and manipulation and that sort of thing Uh, and it is that but it's also (laughs) like kind of the whole time it's like winking at you and being like see how fucking dumb all these people are and i just loved that about it i think i think something i said about this movie is that it like is one of the tightest tonal tight ropes of the year just in terms of like threading that needle between yes. being goofy and being really serious um so yeah i fucking loved it and i'm glad it got at least on the top 10 i kind of got the impression going into the meeting and at the meeting that it was it was going to be a little bit too polarizing yeah. amongst our group to really take anything um, yeah i agree so it didn't entirely surprise me that um it didn't get more but i would have i would have loved for it to get more same here i i was very impressed with it i i loved it too and um it's interesting that like we t- we t- like we talked a couple of weeks ago in the podcast um about leave the world behind and how that mm-hmm. movie has this just delicious punchline of a final scene <laughs> yeah and may december kind does not the same thing but it it has a similar yeah. sort of punchline to it that kind of yeah. just brings everything home in such a interesting and unique way and like right. yeah and it's funny that like yeah it, this was my first uh Todd Haynes movie overall Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i was very impressed with it it so much so like uh, it was interesting because i didn't like my read of it was that it like i i read it pretty straight pretty much Mm -hmm. like i did not see the camp aspect of it um until like the end of the movie and like i don't know it just it really it really really worked for me so i'm glad that it's a finalist it's yeah yeah it it is a movie that kind of I think if if you're paying attention, it reveals itself to you at the end. So like I totally get yeah. reading it straight and then the end scene happens and you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually like for the first maybe 15, 20 minutes of the movie was like very, you know, kind of confused and caught off guard by the odd tone of it and like yep. wasn't sure how I was supposed to be reading it. And uh, it was thanks to... Um, fellow ifja member alex wheeler shout out mm. alex sitting yeah. down the row from me i could hear them laughing like <laughs> at different random things just little line deliveries nice and i was like you know what this is silly as fuck isn't it <laughs> um, and then like the rest of the movie i was totally on board with the like this is cool and awesome but also goofy and stupid that's great i wish i would have yeah. like seen it in the theater um yeah uh, because yeah, yeah. Uh, I wish I wish I would have, but I didn't. So, um, yeah, yeah. But I really, I I really enjoyed it, and I'm glad it's on the list. I don't think it's going to make my top ten, um, mm-hmm. but it it's 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 up there. So yeah. 
Um, the next movie, the next runner-up, the or the next finalist. I keep saying runner-up, but the penultimate finalist um, <laughs> is uh, Celine Song's uh, "Past Lives," which the plot oh, yeah. summary is Nora and Haesung, uh, two deeply connected childhood friends, are wrested apart after Nora's family emigrates from South Korea. 20 years later, they are reunited for one fateful week as they confront notions of love and destiny. So, Andy, as I, like, kind of in a similar vein, by the way, it stars Greta Lee, T.O.U., mm-hmm. uh, John Magaro, and Moon Sung Ah, uh, and written and directed by Celine Song, her uh, feature debut. But um, much like Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, this type of movie, this, like, kind of similar to coming-of-age movies, mm-hmm. the romantic drama is something that I gravitate toward as well. Yeah. And I watched Past Lives kind of late in the game. I was impressed with it. I really, really enjoyed it. I think that it does tread some territory that has been covered better in other movies, but yeah. I think that it 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 presents itself in such a in such a um realistic and heartfelt manner that I really appreciated. How do you feel about Past Lives? Yeah, I liked it a lot too. Um it's yeah, not not one of my favorites of the year but i mm-hmm. really admired um yeah just kind of how straight and plain it all was it's mm-hmm. this is kind of the opposite well i shouldn't even say that but it's it's a movie that really does not lean into its melodrama and yet right. at the same time it's insanely romantic just like yep. and i don't mean romantic like sexually or or lovingly but romantic about life and and people and how we move through the world it's in it's just it's a movie that's constantly waxing poetic mm-hmm. and yet it feels incredibly subdued and grounded um and i think in that way it really reminded me of like richard linklater's before trilogy um which is a much more overt love story than mm-hmm. this is but um struck me the same in in the sense that it felt like okay i'm just getting this little glimpse into these people's lives and i really feel like i'm a part of their journey and you know it's kind of that that notion of like well sometimes things don't work out and that's life and that's okay you know and and that's the whole vibe of the movie and like it's a sort of melancholy thing that kind of makes you sad and hopeful and comforted all at the same time yep so i really appreciated that i i agree though it is treading some territory that i think is maybe a little bit more deeply examined in other stuff totally and what's interesting a, a a scandalous thing that i'm about to break on the podcast i have oh. not seen any of the before trilogy <laughs> well if you love romantic dramas yes you can't do any better in i my opinion. yeah i i agree from what i understand and i will see it see those movies and i will probably adore them um yeah but what i what struck me about past lives is like you said it is not about like here's the thing the thing that really impressed me about it was that it is not it it is about attraction it is about romantic interest and but it is about missed opportunities it's about Mm -hmm. but it's not about regaining those missed opportunities it's not about like examining that it's not even about like the taboo of being attracted to someone that you shouldn't necessarily like the the construct of the of the movie is that like you know 
they drift apart. And when mm-hmm. they reconnect, it's not like this forbidden attraction. It's more of a melancholy, like you said. Um, yeah. And I thought that that was just so, so good. It's just done so well. Yeah, it really nails that kind of... Um, that idea of like, although it didn't work out or although we weren't meant to be, if you want to put it that, you know, faithfully, like we can still appreciate the time that we had and what we were for each other at that point in our lives. And I, I really like when movies deal with that same almost over like, yes, we were meant to be together or whatever. Like I, I would rather a movie dwell in that kind of bittersweet area. And this totally lives in there. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yep. It is. Uh, it's very good. Past lives. Yeah. I recommend it. Um, <laughs> uh, it might, ah, I don't know if it'll make my top 10 or not, but we'll see. Yeah. And then the final finalist, uh, before we get to the winner and runner up, mm-hmm. uh, robot freaking dreams. <laughs> um, <laughs> this movie, God, I adored it. Um, based on the yeah. popular graphic novel by the North American writer Sarah Varon, Robot Dreams tells the adventures and misfortunes of dog and robot in New York City during the 1980s. Um, it was directed by Pablo Berger and written by Pablo Berger, of course, adapted from Sarah Varon's graphic novel. Um, I, amazing. Just an amazing feel. Like, here's the thing. You and I reviewed Silent Night last week. Mm-hmm. If John Woo could have seen this, then maybe he could have made the gimmick of no dialogue in (laughs) Silent Night work. Take some cues. Yes. Uh, Uh, Yeah. How did you you feel about Robot Dreams? Yeah, I I thought it was great. I think um, to to continue the self-praise, I think Mm -hmm. I was the first one to watch this and recommend it to people. um, Sounds right. Um, although I think Brent Luthold mm-hmm. um, pointed it pointed out its existence to us, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it I was not really expecting anything from this movie. I, I saw that it was. Yeah. I, I'm always looking for animated stuff because mm-hmm. I feel like that's something that's easy to miss, like as an organization, because there's not a lot of the animated stuff that comes out is like Paw Patrol or whatever. And it's like, okay, yeah. well, that stuff's not making the list. So I'm always kind of trying right. to look for animated stuff that's really reaching for something and, yeah. and not necessarily pandering to one specific audience. Yes. So, See it as a like viable art form rather than yeah, mass market produced It's not a genre. Stuff. It's just a type of filmmaking. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, when I when I heard about it and kind of saw a little bit of stuff about it, I was like, okay, definitely want to check this out. But I didn't know what I'd get from it. And I had no idea it was a no dialogue yeah. movie. Um, I, I like kind of kept expecting it to turn on the dialogue and, <laughs> yeah. it never, and it didn't need to. It's a great example of visual storytelling, mm-hmm. um, you know, sh- the classic show don't tell uh, kind of yeah. thing. It, it really... It doesn't need words. Um, of course, it uses uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire lyrics. But um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just such a charming little mm-hmm. um, movie that kind of you know bouncing off of past lives, kind of fulfills a lot of those same yeah same ideas. Um, just kind of about you know 
being something special to somebody and, mm-hmm. and appreciating the time that you had together while also accepting that, you know, life changes, life goes on. Um, yeah. it, and just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a movie that like, I, it's not, it's not an adult cartoon, but it's right. also not aimed necessarily at kids. But I feel like this is a movie that, you should show your kid at a young age. Yes. And like that will make so much of growing up easier (laughs) if they're able to like appreciate it. Oh, Um, absolutely. You know, it'll just, I think it gives a really, really healthy perspective on moving on just in general. Oh yeah. And, and the importance of the important, the fleeting importance of connecting with people and connecting with others. It's, Even if it doesn't last, who cares? Yeah. Like, just connect. Oh, know? absolutely. Oh, yeah. It just um, wonderful, beautiful, beautiful movie. Yeah. Um, it may be. I, sure. <laughs> I do think of this movie probably just because it's animated, but um, <laughs> I I feel like this is the movie that stole Spider Man across the Spider Verse's <laughs> spot on our top ten. Yes. Because uh, this was our runner up for best animated film, oh, and Spider Verse yeah. won that. And it's it's just funny that like because past lives won foreign language right and breakout I believe uh, yeah, did it, it win foreign language no zone of interest oh, zone won. of interest yeah. yeah past lives wasn't wasn't up yeah. there for that um but anyway yeah it, it is just funny to see like oh our best animated film of the year uh, is not on our top ten list in fact <laughs> right. a non best animated film of yeah. the year is it? <laughs> But that's just kind of funny the way voting shakes out. Oh, absolutely. But then again, I mean, Spider-Man, I mean, great work with yeah. Spider-Man and everything. But like, I mean, they they got vocal motion capture performance. Yeah, <laughs> Dude, yeah um, they're good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I love Robot Dreams. Um, it's one that's on the short list for me to revisit before I finalize my top 10 um, yeah. to kind of reass- reassert where it is, reassess where it is. So, yeah. Um, so those are the finalists. We now have the runner up for best picture, according to the mm-hmm. IFJA. Um, it is none other than Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. The plot mm-hmm. summary is, uh, the story of American scientist J. Robert Oppenheimer and his role in the development of the atomic bomb. It is, uh, available, I think on VOD at this point. Um, well, yeah. And it also, technically is out on physical like 4k is is sold out oh, and everything yeah. yeah um there's that whole thing written and directed by christopher nolan based on the book american prometheus uh andy how did you feel about oppenheimer and have you revisited it since <laughs> the famed barbenheimer experience that gripped the world yeah um i love this movie i think it really deserves all the hype you know it's it's been probably I don't know if this is objectively true, but it feels like the most talked about movie of the year. Mm -hmm. And I think it deserves it. I think, you know, it's, it's the rare movie that I don't roll my eyes at when I see everyone giving it five out of five. Like, I'm like, I get it. I gave it five. (laughs) You (laughs) know, I, I think it's a totally singular vision of, you know, a historical figure. It's, Mm -hmm a biopic that totally bucks every trend of biopics, every tired trope of biopics. And it's also, you know, meditating on something bigger than, than the person at its core. Cause it's, it's not only 
talking about Oppenheimer's life and his perspective, but it's also, you know, about what does it mean to <laughs> create a weapon of mass destruction and yep. put that out into the world? What does it mean to, you know, be credited with that to be you know seen as the genius who fathered it and also mm -hmm. it feels like christopher nolan figuring out shit about himself in the process yeah i don't i don't want to go so far as to claim he's conflating himself with oppenheimer but i think he sees a lot of his craft and his role in the film industry as you know uh, at least relatable to what he views as oppenheimer's emotional journey um and so that's yeah. just fast a fascinating thing to behold even if you think it's bullshit or it like doesn't totally land for you or you think it's yeah. pretentious like it's pretty fascinating to watch i i absolutely agree i des this is probably the one the the top priority for me to revisit because yeah I loved it when I saw it, and I've only seen it the one time. I adored mm -hmm. it. It was great. We reviewed it on the podcast. Me and Tiny did. And it's it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. In addition to that, it for me, I have kind of a mixed history with Nolan's movies. Tenet, mm -hmm. I... The, granted, the circumstances of that release were very, very complicated it's, okay. we can, it's not a great movie yeah yeah <laughs> i enjoy it but it's not a great <laughs> yeah so uh but yeah but then even interstellar which is a movie that i should have loved i didn't uh -huh. um yeah. and i think i like have kind of ruminated on christopher nolan as a filmmaker and like he is just he it's not even that he's about spectacle it's just that he plays with these big concepts these big ideas and i never really feel like he is able to really create uh handle like he's not able to handle character as well as he does mm -hmm. spectacle and big big things Concept. yeah yeah and and in yeah. in the high concept of his movies and totally. that's something i've always wrestled with and here i feel like this like you said it's it's a biopic that's that's so unique in terms of delving into both the character as as this historical figure also by compartmentalizing or or condensing the bigger scope of the messaging and the the ideas that Nolan wants to explore in the movie by condensing them into his inner uh struggle as a, as a as a character in the movie Oppenheimer's um and it's just it's really it's it's really pretty remarkable but it yeah. also has some nolanisms in it like sure. <laughs> i don't yeah. know it's yeah. just it's a little it's a little tricky but I, I was um, yeah. thinking about this movie the other day, actually, in regards to like the Nolanisms of it, mm -hmm. and and I was, I'll prop, I might do some kind of little like spin-off one-man ramble episode on odd <laughs> trilogies, just talking <laughs> about this because I I feel like this is something I come across a lot in how I view and rate and mm -hmm. qualify movies, but like for me, it's a five-star movie. But it does have things that, like, I I look at and I'm like, yeah, if that's a flaw for somebody else, I get it. And yeah. I don't think it's necessarily a great thing about this <laughs> right. movie. I just kind of, my brain ignores it because it doesn't affect the overall experience for me. You know, like, something Nolan is kind of notoriously not great at is 
how he characterizes women mm. in his scripts and not even necessarily that he's like misogynistic so much as just he doesn't know how to deal with them so he doesn't yeah um, so they end up playing very secondary roles um and that's still kind of the case here uh, emily yeah. Blunt is great in this movie um but every time she's on screen she's like dropping a bottle of alcohol on the floor right. or like stammering <laughs> drunk and it's like okay um yep yeah and so it's, that's one of those things that's like, yeah, if I were to like make an objective list of all the good and bad things, I would have to put that on the bad things list about this mm-hmm. movie. I just don't think about it when I'm watching it because it doesn't feel like that's what the movie's about to me. And right. so it's like, that is technically a shortcoming, but <laughs> it's, it's not going to erase the half star between a five and a f- four and a half or whatever. Absolutely. And there's it, a lot of things like that in the movie. Oh, not, absolutely. Not just the the uh, even with the women character like it's it's kind of amazing that in a like that he chose to make a biopic about someone who has certain aspects of the story and i'm talking specifically about like florence Pugh. yeah has like the the arc of just about every single christopher nolan movie yeah (laughs) like it's it's a little but but I, I don't know. Yeah, it's just it's I, I, I don't know. There there are certain shortcomings that Christopher Nolan has. One of one of those is not spectacle scale and dispensing of like the point that he wants to make the the yeah, message right. the 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 thing that he wants to say. So I love it. It's something that it's it's tricky because like in the throes of Barbenheimer, it was like, okay, these are the top two movies of the year. Like number one (laughs) is Barbie. Number two is Oppenheimer. They might switch, but that's, that's, I Uh I can't imagine a better movie coming out. And then spoiler, like right now, Oppenheimer, I don't, I think Oppenheimer has fallen down to where it's, it's me. It's not even in my top 10 at this moment. Oh wow! Yeah. Which is why I need to prioritize rewatching it because I need to, I need to, I need to really make a decision. (laughs) <laughs> I think it's uh, it's probably my number two right now nice. behind John Wick. Um, I did. Uh, you asked about if I revisited it. I watched it like maybe two or three weeks after the first time I saw it. I okay. saw it in theaters again. Saw it in nice. like full authentic IMAX the second nice. time. Um, and you know, with especially Chris Nolan movies, I always fully expect that like rewatching it is going to reveal less flattering qualities of the film yeah um and it was really kind of like i was more more probably than any other movie i've watched multiple times this year like really just swept me away the second time all the same and i was just like yes all those things are true that people (laughs) have problems with this movie but i really don't care because this is creating such a such a singular experience and just sweeping me through the whole thing and it's three hours of dial of white people standing in a room talking and it's the most <laughs> right. interesting thing I've seen all year. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. I would say in, in terms of Nolan's whole career, I would say that Oppenheimer and I, this is probably going to sound like a pretentious or condescending douchebag thing to say, but I feel like Oppenheimer uh, marks a certain, a certain maturation of Nolan's filmmaking. Um, like it's, it's a little bit more mature and grounded, not grounded, but I think in that, yeah, yeah, creatively ambitious. Yes. Uh, Yes. You know, for him to do a full blown character study rather Mm -hmm. than like a 
science concept study. You know? Yes, like, yes. Like that, that reminds me like i mean the last his last two movies um interstellar and tenant tenant yeah. yeah yeah interstellar was the last one before Tenet. i think so i think yeah but anyway mm, yeah, well, something like that yeah i don't know but anyway don't interstellar um like interstellar has like the like it's really every christopher nolan movie is like that just expository dialogue like i Mm -hmm, i mm -hmm. inception is one of my favorite movies of all time it makes me cringe every time i watch it when like you see Cobb in um uh in adorodney um yeah it's during like the like the the snow fortress thing and like it's in the middle of a big gunfight and then uh and then and then uh 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 Adirondack, is that the character's name? Ar- is it Ariadne. 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 Yeah. Uh, Ariadne is like, oh, are you are you killing parts of his subconscious? And he's like, no, no, no. They're just projections as they're physically firing weapons at. Like, <laughs> way to kill the steam of that. But right. anyway, um, but yeah, and I just think that this is uh, uh, this is just such a big step step uh, forward, and also. Mm-hmm. With uh, a prime example from Tenant in that regard is like having Kenneth Branagh say like if I can't have you no one can like the most just like yeah come yeah. on take another yeah. pass at that but um but yeah Oppenheimer is is a is a is definitely a step above that um I very impressive so I need to yeah. watch it Nolan yeah. Nolan is a big boy now yeah yeah he is he's, he's finally he's yeah. an adult. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of adults and finally growing into an adult, the winner (laughs) of the best film, according to the Indiana Film Journalist Association Awards from 2023, Yorgos Lanthimos's Poor Things. Uh, The plot summary, of course, is the incredible tale about the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, a young woman brought back to life by the brilliant and uh, unorthodox scientist, oh my, what, am I having a stroke? Um, (laughs) Dr. Godwin (laughs) Baxter, uh, uh, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, written by Tony McNamara, uh, adapted from the novel by Alastair Gray, stars Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, Willem Dafoe, and Rami Youssef. Now, Andy Last week, when people are listening to this, last week on the podcast, I reviewed Poor Things with uh, our colleague and friend, Mitch Ringenberg. So mm-hmm. people have heard my thoughts on Poor Things. So having said that, what did you think of Poor Things? Like, how do you feel about it winning the top prize with the Indiana Film Journalists Association? Yeah, I, I think it's awesome. I think it's probably my, I think it's my number five for the year. Um, so not not necessarily my personal top, but way up there. Awesome movie. Easily, you know, we gave it uh, the original Vision Award. And I think mm-hmm. like that is kind of the perfect encapsulation of what's so great about this movie is that it's this wholly unique even amongst lanthimos's work is really kind of i i just don't think i've seen another movie quite like it um it's it's playful and weird and perverted (laughs) and yet it's also this like um you know kind of satirical rumination on um you know gender dynamics and and 
all that while also being the most bizarre and backwards coming of age film you've ever seen. Um, and it's all done up in kind of Lanthimos's weird off kilter style, but like yes. that style is cranked up to 11. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's an awesome movie. Emma stone easily the best performance of the year. Um, yeah, I think we were right to <laughs> give her that award. Um, I will say I'm I was kind of surprised with just how dominant it ended up being. Um Me too. Cuz I think it's obvi- obviously not to the same degree, but I thought it was kind of like May December like kind of polarizing. Mm-hmm. Um and I I knew there would be a lot of people that probably wouldn't respond to it. Um so yeah, I was just really surprised and and honestly pleasantly so to see just how much it won. Um and I think you know, even though I would like to, I I generally prefer award spreads where it's like, if a different movie won every single category, I would be thrilled. Yep. Uh, But also I think if we're going to give a movie a sweep, I think it's fun to do a movie like poor things that I don't know is going to see that same widespread success elsewhere. So like, I think it's cool for us to do that. Not that like the goal is to be different or anything, but like, you know Oppenheimer's gonna win all sorts of shit. <laughs> yes. So like it was kind of nice to be like, you know what? We actually love this thing and think it deserves uh that recognition. Well said. And I I agree. I'm floored that poor things ran away with so many things. Yeah. And I and that's coming from someone who, again, I was not expecting to like like the movie much less prioritize watching it honestly and it's going to be it'll probably land like in the bottom half of my top 10 i adored Mm -hmm. it and it's kind of interesting i don't know if this is something i'm just projecting onto it from my own like personal thoughts about these two filmmakers but like yogros lanthimos has never been someone that i connected with even the favorite i enjoyed it but it's one of those movies that like I I didn't really think much of it after I saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed it, didn't think much of it, moved on. Um, but it's so interesting that we have two filmmakers who, like Lanthimos and Nolan, who yeah. have unique takes on human beings in their filmography. <laughs> yeah. One, like, is maybe not the best at fleshing out human characters, being Nolan. The mm-hmm. other being just constantly going like far left like not far left but like far out of the box thinking with the exploration of humans or people um i just exposed myself as an alien of (laughs) humans um but it's just interesting that these two get you know the best picture and runner up yeah it feels like they're both it's for both directors an example of them kind of um yeah reaching a new creative frontier for themselves yes like this poor things feels way warmer and Mm -hmm. more empathetic than most of yorgo's previous stuff which is usually like i don't necessarily want to say cynical but like really exists in the perverse back corner of the human brain like that's where his style exists as a filmmaker and i think like the lobster is you know a good example of like this is kind of it's kind of bleak and sad but you kind of feel bad for the characters or whatever and like poor things it's not 
like pity at all. It's just right. like love and kind of strength and excitement for this, for Bella Baxter's kind of journey yeah. through life and coming of age and learning about things. And she's kind of constantly celebrating herself. Mm-hmm. Like she's celebrating her new discoveries in life and that's cool. And yes, it's still perverted as all hell <laughs> and like dirty and raunchy and mm-hmm. nasty and kind of violent too. Um, but like, yeah, it just feels like a, a new level of like warmth and humanity for him. Yeah, for absolutely. And it's something that we kind of touched on uh, while I touched on with Mitch is that it's not, it is a similar kind of weird look at growing and, and people like people peopling, but it's Mm -hmm. not, like you said, it's that warmth and it's not like the punishing aspect of it. Like there are harsh lessons. It's, it's, there's some violence, there's some pretty like crazy stuff, but it's not punishing so much. So as it's a more, if not completely like affirming journey for Bella, Yeah. It's yeah. at least something that she's coming to on her own terms. And yeah, I mean, it is yeah. literally empowering. Yeah. That word gets overused and thrown around mm-hmm. a lot, especially in like stories about women. But yeah, it really is an empowering story about this person figuring out life and themselves and their agency as a human being. Absolutely. Absolutely. So very glad to see poor things win and poor things be like just breaking a record. Like we said, yeah. seven wins, uh, most, uh, most ever for a single film in the 15 year history of the IFGA awards. Um, yeah. and as I've, I've said privately to, to you, I mean, here's the thing, this, this episode is coming out December 28th. And here in a few days, it's going to be 2024. And hmm. like, I, I know that it's going to be a long road to the next IFJA Awards, but it is yeah. the IFJA Awards for 2024. We are expecting the beekeeper sweep. <laughs> just yeah. Jason Statham just going to town on the IFJA Awards. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Don't be caught off guard. Nope, nope. Uh or else he'll sting you or I don't yeah. I don't know. Don't don't get stung. Yes. <laughs> um yeah. Have so your honey pot ready. I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh yeah well that should do it that is that is our everything um andy i don't want to take up too much more of your time tonight thank you for your for your being so gracious with your evening um thanks for thanks for having me on especially for the last episode of of your of your year absolutely oh yeah and that is not to say that we're going to be going away or anything because for the first time for the first time in obsessive viewer history we are not going to take a end slash beginning of year break uh, or anything. We're still rolling. This is this is the mm-hmm. ninth episode released in a like ninth consecutive episode week to week. That's not stopping. Next week on the podcast, uh, we're going to be reviewing Rebel Moon Part One: A Child of Fire. A preview of that episode will be like here's here's a preview of it. Um, that's the noises I'm going to be making because that movie is infuriating. Uh, yep. that, that was ridiculous. But anyway, um, before we go, Andy, could you tell people where they can find your work online, where they can find you online and what, uh, just throwing it out there. What is the one movie in 2024 that you're most excited about? 
Oh, man. Um, well, I'll start with the credentials and things. Yes. Um, so you can find our podcast, Odd Trilogies, at uh, oddtrilogies.castos.com. You can also find it wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, and I also write for filmyap.substack.com. So you can find me there. Um, and yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at not so handy Andy and letterboxed as dandable. Um, so you can find all my spicy takes there. Nice. Um, <laughs> and let's see, 2024. God, I've really done a, I, I'm not at the stage yet where I'm really looking deeply into the 2424 lineup so i'm having yeah. a hard time even remembering what's coming out <laughs> um i do want to see that uh um Kristen stewart and katie o'brien oh movie, yeah uh, love, love lies, lies bleeding. bleeding yeah that was like the coolest trailer i've seen in a while <laughs> it um, was so i'm excited for that and like this the tagline in the trailer should not work absolutely <laughs> no. should not work but like what is it like love gets ripped or, or revenge gets ripped yeah something like that like delightful delightful yeah. yep yeah so yeah but uh yeah so i'll put links in the show notes for all of all of your stuff uh what's coming what like at this point yeah people are listening to this december 28th will right. you have the christmas story on trilogies yep okay yep. the uh our latest episode is the uh the trilogy of sequels to a Christmas story. Um, so believe it or not, there are actually three sequels to that film. None of them particularly good, um, but all <laughs> interesting, I guess, uh, expansions on the original story. Um, and then uh, here coming up, I think January 6th, we should have our kind of end of year recap nice. episode just in time for insurrection day. Oh yes. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've got to say, I saw, uh, uh, I saw, um, uh, I, 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 Jesus. Um, sorry. I, I, I saw, <laughs> I saw Logan's check-in for, I think it was, I was trying to find it cause I wasn't sure which Christmas story it was, but I think it was Christmas story too yeah, on Letterboxd. And like just that just like seeing the star rating, has me very excited to yeah. listen to your guys' yeah. episode. Right. It's, so, yeah. It'll be an interesting and maybe brief conversation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I can't wait to listen and I can't wait yeah. to see what you guys got in the hopper for 2024. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that'll do it for this episode. Thanks once again, Andy. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, yeah of course. And, uh, and thank you, listeners, for joining us here at obsessive viewer podcasts for another year this was our uh we broke 10 years 10 years was our 10 nice. year anniversary in june so yeah uh, it's it's i think we're actually going to i i think we're i think we're doing this podcast thing i think it's i think it's <laughs> i think it's a thing it's now. off the ground now exactly so <laughs> uh so thank you guys so much for listening and check out patreon of course patreon.com slash obsessive viewer tons and tons of stuff and it's only going to get more more stuff next year uh once again andy thank you so much for joining me and uh, I'm looking forward to having you back on the show soon and throughout year. 2024. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, once again, thank you guys so much for listening. Check out our other shows and the website 
Until next week, thank you guys for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. And now, enjoy this short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. For the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, such as early access to episodes, TV book and movie reviews and reaction recordings, commentary tracks, and Patreon poopery episodes, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. This ridiculous, like, breadcrumb that is going to be paid off in the next movie and it, it's it's it sticks out like a sore thumb it sticks out so much because it has nothing to do with anything else and yet it's just there it's like okay this this person in the past had this ability and then you know and then i ended up on the farm um and it has nothing to do with anything nothing at all to do with anything it could have been a somewhat interesting backstory uh for world building for the lore and everything but instead it is a breadcrumb that is the it's a breadcrumb left for us that's the size of a fucking boulder so that we can avoid noticing that it's something that that it's something that is going to lead to something else and it's just the dumbest plotting I've ever seen this year in a movie. I'll say that. Um, cause so I don't get too hyperbolic, but it is just the dumbest thing. It, it, the, like I kept thinking throughout the movie that this movie is dumb shit, seven samurai. Like that is, that is the name of this movie is dumb shit, seven samurai, because there is nothing imaginative or interesting about it. Um, I just, I hated it so much. I ended up rating it half a star. This podcast was edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find links to all of our shows at ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts. For exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.